And I'm going to be reading from 2 Samuel, chapter 9. David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service. He replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel in Lodabar. So King David had had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honour. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid. David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. Um, The second Bible reading is found in Luke chapter 14, starting from verse 12. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. 
At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. I don't know if your Bibles and turn back to 2 Samuel chapter 9. It's on page uh, 265, I think it is, of the Black Bibles. It would be really helpful to have that open. Uh, this is honestly one of my uh, favourite passages in the, Old, in the Old Testament. It's just beautiful. That's what I'm going to pray for us tonight. Our Heavenly Father, thank you that you are kind, that you're so good and gracious and loving towards us. Uh, please, please be kind to us tonight and open our eyes to see glorious things in this chapter of your word. Uh, Lord, would you show us how gracious you are and fill us afresh with a wonder, a wonder at your kindness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Mother Teresa said this, it's on the screen. She said to Christians, she said, be the living expression of of God's kindness. We're called to be the living expression of God's kindness. A kindness in your face and kindness in your eyes and, and kindness in your smile. A kindness is, is such a beautiful word. A kindness is that, that action towards somebody else that you want to bless them, you want to encourage them, you want to lavish them with the undeserved favor. Kindness is, is when you see somebody and you just desire to bless them, expecting nothing in return. It, it can be as simple as smiling at a stranger, writing a thank you note to somebody that doesn't expect to get one, dropping a, a meal around on the doorstep of somebody unexpectedly. At the kindness of just sitting with a friend in distress and listening and weeping and praying. I hope you've experienced kindness. Because when you experience kindness, you get this, this warmth and you feel this compassion and you feel, you feel loved. Kindness is a beautiful thing. The 13th of November is designated as World Kindness Day. World Kindness Day, where we're encouraged to, to do random acts of kindness. And that, that, that's great. That's wonderful. But I want to say, surely, you can't limit kindness to one day. And the kindness needs to be an attitude, a lifestyle, a habit. And kindness shouldn't just be random. You, you can be intentional 
You can be deliberate in your kindness. You can seek out opportunities to lavish someone with kindness. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, in many ways, was, was a personification of kindness. Uh, when you read the Gospels, uh, so much of his life was spent being kind to people. And he saw someone in need, and so he met that need. He spotted someone who was an outcast, so he went to talk to them. He fed the poor. He healed the sick. He showed comfort, compassion, strength, provision, protection. He, he's a personification of kindness. Uh, Billy Graham says this. Kindness is an essential part of God's work. And kindness is an essential part of our work here on earth. Kindness originates from the heart of God. God is kind. God is kind because he cannot be otherwise. It's an essential part of his nature. And likewise, that kindness becomes part of our new nature that comes to us through the Holy Spirit. Kindness becomes a part of our conduct because our character is rooted in God. And so church, I want to say, be kind. We're called to be kind because our God is kind. It's Ephesians chapter 4. Be kind and compassionate. Forgive one another just as you have been forgiven in Christ. It's Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. So we're called to show kindness to other people because we've experienced the kindness of God. On the screen is Titus chapter 3. It says, at one time we too were foolish disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, when the kindness of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. That is the gospel right there. When the kindness of God appeared, when, when Jesus stepped onto this earth, he lavished his world with kindness. And when he appeared in your life and appeared to you, you experienced this hug from God, this, this welcome from God, this acceptance from God. You experienced the kindness of God. So if you never understood kindness, here it is. A justice is getting what we deserve. And mercy is not getting what we deserve. And grace is getting what we don't deserve, the undeserved favour of God. And kindness is that that heart behind grace, that attitude that longs to pour out grace. And that is the character of our God. He's a kind, kind, kind God. So today look at kindness, at that selfless, compassionate, merciful attitude towards other people. We're in 2 Samuel chapter 9, the life of David. In chapter 6 of 2 Samuel, David brought the, the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem, the, the symbol of the presence of God. In chapter 7, that great promise of a king and a kingdom that would last forever. In chapter 8, you've got victories over his enemies, so David is enjoying peace and prosperity. But our chapter starts with a strange question. Look at it with me, 9 verse 1. David asked... Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? You've got to understand that 20 years before this chapter, uh, 
20 years prior, David had entered a covenant, a binding promise with his best mate, Jonathan. It's on the screen. It comes from 1 Samuel chapter 20. Jonathan says, May the Lord be with you, David, as he has been with my father. May, but, but, but show me unfailing kindness like that of the Lord as long as I live, so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family. Not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So, so David entered this, this covenant promise with Jonathan to show kindness to Jonathan and to show kindness to all of Jonathan's family. But that was 20 years ago. And for the past 20 years, David has been relentlessly pursued by Saul. He's been mocked, he's been beaten, he's been driven to exile. And so David could have said, what the heck, why bother? Why bother keeping my promise? He doesn't deserve that. Or, or why bother? I mean, when I made that promise 20 years ago, I wasn't king then, but now I'm king. It doesn't matter anymore. It does matter. It does matter because a covenant has been made and a covenant is a promise that cannot be broken. A solemn word, a solemn ceremony. It's a bit like a, a marriage. You know, people say, oh, marriage is just a piece of paper. It's not just a piece of paper. It's way more than that. When a, a man and a woman promise to love each other till death they depart in sickness and in health. And then we don't keep that covenant promise because we always feel like it, because sometimes we don't always feel like it. We keep it because we promised it. So that's what, what's happening here, that David has made a covenant promise to Jonathan to show kindness to his descendants. Now Saul has died, Jonathan has died, but there's one man left, his name is Mephibosheth the grandson of Saul. And we met him back in chapter 4, 2 Samuel 4, verse 4, again on the screen. It says this, Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled. But as she hurried to leave, he fell and became a cripple. His name was Mephibosheth. It's such a sad story. Age, from age five onwards, he's been crippled, lame in both feet. He's helpless. And the, the name of Mephibosheth means one who scatters shame, one who scatters shame. And so the question as we come to chapter nine is, is will David show kindness? Will David keep his promise? Let, let's think about the condition of Mephibosheth, the condition of Mephibosheth. Church, I think way too many of us here have two high a view of yourself you think you're pretty good and the danger is that you read chapter 9 and deep down you automatically jump to David and you identify with David and think how you can show kindness and we love to identify with David let me say you are not David you are not David in this story because David's the king and you're not the king so David in this story is pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ the king of kings, the true kings, the just king. So if you're not David in the story, who are you? Who's the other character in the story? You are Mephibosheth. I am Mephibosheth. So stop identifying yourself as the king and start identifying yourself as the lame cripple in the story. 
It's like the hymn, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me. We don't like that word wretch because it's a bit confronting, but that's who we are. A man once came to our church from another church. He said to me this, I've been in my last church for 10 years, 10 years. And every single Sunday, I was told that I am wonderful and God is going to do amazing things in and through me. And I left every week feeling guilty and a failure. And I've come to your church and I'm told every week that I'm a sinner. But I'm loved by God, chosen and cherished and forgiven. And I leave every week feeling wonderful and liberated. You've got to understand who you are before God. But Mephibosheth, he was, he was disobedient. In verse 1, he's from the house of Saul. And in 2 Samuel, that is a house of disobedience because Saul was rejected by God. He was removed from power because he disobeyed God's word. He was proud, arrogant, disobedient. He denied God's word. That is the line of Saul. That is Mephibosheth's family. He was destitute. Look at verse 2. There's a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. He's not a good man, actually. When you come to chapter 16 and to 18, he lies, he deceives. Verse 3, the king asked Ziba, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? He answered, there's still a son of Jonathan. He's lame in both feet. Where is he, the king asked. Ziba answered, he's at the house of Machi, a son of Amiel, in Lodabar. We don't spot it, but those verses are dripping with destitution. He lives in low debar, and that word low debar means no pasture. He lives in a, a place called barren. He lives in a place called hopeless. He's in the house of Makia, and that word Makia means worthless or sold. So that's Mephibosheth. He's living in poverty, living in want, living as a slave in a barren land. He's worthless. He's a nobody. And he's disabled. Remember 2 Samuel chapter 4, he was dropped by the nurse at the age of five. Now, now twice we're told he's lame in both feet. Verse 3 and verse 13, he's lame in both feet. So he's completely helpless. He can't even walk by himself. And in that culture, in that age, to be lame in both feet, to be disabled, meant that you begged. You, you couldn't work, so you couldn't provide food for yourself. You had no money, so you begged and you begged and you begged. And, and this man, Mephibosheth, he's a total outcast. Nobody even knows he's alive. David doesn't know he exists. In those society, they were just, they were just shut off from society. Let's pretend they're not there. That is the life of Meshibotheth. He's utterly, utterly desperate, destitute, hopeless, and helpless, and worthless. What can he do for himself? Nothing. He's disobedient, he's destitute, and he's doomed. We've just had a change of government. Now, when you change government, uh, no one expects ScoMo to get a seat at the cabinet. That would just be ridiculous. Could we change government? Out with the old, in with the new. In those days, when you changed king, it was out with the old and in with the new. But it wasn't just that you were shown the exit. If you were part of the old kingdom, you were executed. You were put to death. And, and so when Mephibosheth comes, is summoned by the king, and he comes before the king, we're told in verse 7, he is terrified. 
Of course he's terrified because he thinks that he's been brought before the king to be executed. So Mephibosheth is disobedient, he's destitute, and he's doomed. I want to ask you, would you ever use those three words to describe yourself without Christ? I'm disobedient. I'm destitute. I'm doomed. And the Bible says that, Romans 3, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who does good. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are are disobedient. We haven't loved God with our whole heart. We haven't loved our neighbor ourselves. We have not always been kind to people. But do, yourself, do you see yourself as, as spiritually destitute? It's a good word, destitute. I had the, the privilege and pleasure last night of going to the International Justice Mission event. Great job, Amy. It was an incredible evening as we learned about the plight of what, 40 million people around the world who are in bondage to slavery? As we sit here, they're in bondage to slavery. Boys and girls as young as three, four, five, sold as as sex slaves and and trafficked. And to hear these stories and to see these pictures is quite confronting and and it's horrific. That is destitution, that is poverty. They're trapped. And yet that's how the Bible describes you and I in terms of our spiritual condition. We're trapped, we're beggars, we're bankrupt, we're hopeless. Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Is that how you see yourself? Spiritually poor, beggars. We were disobedient, we were destitute, we're doomed. Romans 6 verse 23, the wages of sin is death. We deserve death, we deserve hell. So, So we really don't want to come into the presence of a king thinking, well, I'm quite a good person. And I do wonder we've lost that sense of our condition before God. The Bible calls us sinners. And it might not thrill you to call yourself a sinner, but until you recognize you're a sinner, you will never, ever, ever marvel at grace. Now, Jesus came, I didn't, so I didn't come to call the, the healthy, but the sick, and we are sick. So that's the condition of Mephibosheth. That, that's why he needs the kindness of God. That's why we need the kindness of God. The kindness of God. The repeated word here is kindness. Verse 1, David asks, to whom I can show kindness? Verse 3, to whom I can show kindness? Verse 7, I will surely show you kindness. It's such a beautiful word. The word is hesed. It means steadfast love, undeserving love, abundant grace. It's God's unfathomable, loyal goodness. His heart that's beating just to lavish us with what we don't deserve. And that's what David shows Mephibosheth. In his kindness, David sought out Mephibosheth. It's not the other way around. Do you spot that in verse 1? David is sitting in his palace one day and suddenly asks a question. Is there anyone left I can show kindness to? It's not that Mephibosheth wakes up and thinks, I must go to the king to receive his kindness. It's not the way it works. The king calls him. The king seeks him out. And when David heard about this son of Jonathan, He kept seeking him out. Verse 5, look at it with me. So King David had him brought from Lodabar. He's helpless to bring himself, so the king gets him brought, had him brought. 
So, so David sought him and David called him and David brought him to himself. It reminds me of those parables that, that Jesus told in Luke chapter 15 of the, the, the shepherd who has a hundred sheep and he loses one and he seeks out that one. Or the, the boy who was disobedient and he squandered all his father's wealth and, and ran away and there's the father looking out for him, seeking out for him, longing to show him kindness. That is what God does for us. God sought you out, not the other way around. The moment in your life when suddenly you started to think about spiritual things? That wasn't you, that was God. That was the Spirit of God prodding you and pursuing you and, and chasing you. And when the light started to go on and you started to understand the gospel and understand what Jesus did for you, that was the Spirit of God seeking you and pursuing you and prodding you and chasing you. And when you at first believed the gospel, that's because the Spirit of God convicted you of your sin and righteousness and judgment. So stop thinking that you chose God and you sought after God. It was God who sought after you. That's a massive comfort, isn't it? He sought after me, not the other way around. It struck me this week that God often seeks out those people that we tend to just neglect. Let's be honest. We tend to stay away from the Mephibosheths. We see the person who's in need and we do a wide berth because, hey, we we like to hang out with the beautiful people. God seeks them out. In his kindness, God spoke to Mephibosheth. Verse 6. When Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he he bowed down to pay him honour. He fell at his feet, literally. He, he's on his face in front of the king, honouring him, showing him homage. But look at the next two words. David said. I'll say it again. David said. The king spoke to the lame man. And for the first time, he's called David, not King David. Because at this moment, this encounter He's not just a king, he's personal, he's relational, he's tender. And what word does David say to Mephibosheth? He doesn't say, you filthy, dirty, rotten scumbag. He doesn't say, you pathetic, lame, cripple. He doesn't say, you disobedient, disobedient, destitute, doomed, wretched sinner. He just says one word and he he calls him by name. And I love that. He calls him by his name because he's known and he's loved. I don't imagine David said that word, his name, with an angry tone. Do you, Mephibosheth? I imagine he just said, oh, Mephibosheth, my darling Mephibosheth, it's so good to see you. And then he said, verse 7, don't be afraid. The most common command in the Bible, don't be afraid. You've got nothing to fear. Don't be afraid. Stop being scared. I will surely, I will guarantee to show you kindness. You're not going to get justice, Mephibosheth. I'm going to lavish you with kindness. I wonder how he felt. 
you remember when the, when the younger son came back to his father and he was rehearsing his lines? Father, I've sinned against you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Father, I've sinned against you. Don't deserve to be called your son. And then the father greets him with arms wide open. He just says two words, my son, my son, I love you. You were lost, but now you're found. I need to ask you, are those words that the Lord Jesus Christ has spoken over you? Have you heard Jesus Christ call you by name? Lynn, Ben, Steph, I love you. Peter, John, Betsy, Amy. Have you sat at the feet of King Jesus and heard him call you tenderly by your name? Because he knows you and he loves you. And says, you've got nothing to fear. I've got you. I cherish you. I chose you. I love you. David sought him out and David spoke to him by name and David showed him kindness, verse 7. I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. He says, I'll provide for you. I'll give you the land back and you'll never be in want. I will make you lie down in green pastures. And verse 13, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem. He, he had his permanent dwelling, a place to live. He, he no longer lived in Lodabar in no pasture. He's moved to a palace. He's moved from poverty to a palace, from poverty to prosperity, from having nothing to having everything. So King David lavished him with kindness. He provided, he protected, and he gave him a position. He gave him a seat at the king's table. Love, love, love this. Four times we're told he's seated at the table. Verse 7, you will always eat at my table. Verse 10, and Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. And verse 11, so Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And verse 13, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. Isn't that extraordinary? He's gone from groveling in the gutter to feasting with the king, begging for his daily bread, to sitting with abundance. He's dining with the king. He's seated at the table. He, he's treated like a son of a king. It's this beautiful picture of intimacy and security and acceptance and abundance. I love the song Carried to the Table by a band called Leland. Let me just read the first verse. Wounded and forsaken, I was shattered by the fall. Broken, forgotten, feeling lost and all alone. Summoned by the king into the master's courts, lifted by my saviour and cradled in his arms, I was carried to the table. Seated where I don't belong, carried to the table and swept away by his love. So I don't see my brokenness anymore when I'm seated at the table of my Lord. I'm carried to the table, the table of my Lord. It's a sense of worth and acceptance, being worthy. And that's why he says in verse 8, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog? dog like me 
A dead dog. It's the nastiest, foulest thing he could think of. Because a dog were offensive to the Jews and anyone that's dead is unclean. So a dead dog, he's kind of saying, wow, I'm a pile of garbage. Why me? Why me, Lord? Can you imagine that moment where, he, where he's lying before the king and as he's lying before the king in his head comes all the names that he's been called for his entire life. Mephibosheth, you are worthless. Mephibosheth, you are crippled. You are lame. You are a beggar. You are ugly. You are fat. You are horrible. And at that moment, all those words get replaced by new words. Mephibosheth, you are chosen. You're cherished. You're worthy. You're loved. You're somebody. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're feasting at the table. That's what we're supposed to hear tonight, friends. That is the kindness of God. He takes us from the gutter and puts us at the seat of the king. Not just saving you from death, but he lavishes with you with abundance, more and more and more of his goodness. You never go without because you're feasting at the table of the king. Have you made these links? The Lord Jesus Christ is the king. He is King David. And the Lord Jesus Christ saw you in the gutter and he picked you up and he carried you to the table. And we're supposed to say, who am I? I, I, I'm not worthy of that. No, you're not worthy. But because of God's kindness, he's chosen you. Romans chapter 5, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, so God saw you in your need. He didn't think, oh, they're quite nice and they're quite good and they've got lots of talents and I might choose them. He just saw you in your utter, utter, utter destitution and he chose you and he accepted you and he lavished you with kindness. But why, and this is what struck me this week, why, 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 why did David show kindness? Verse one, for Jonathan's sake. Verse seven, I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. So the reason that David showed kindness was for the sake of a promise for the sake of this covenant, for the sake of his devoted love with that covenant promise, he had promised something and he will not break that promise. And you've got to understand, church, that God has promised to show you kindness. He's made that covenant with you. He's made that binding promise to constantly show you kindness every day of your life. And it's not about you clinging on to him. It's about him keeping his promise. And there's moments in life where you don't feel that you're being loved by God. Just because you don't feel it doesn't mean that God is not loving you. He's promised to love you. So take him at his word. You may have heard of a theologian called B.B. Warfield, an incredible theologian. You may not know that in 1876, he married his childhood sweetheart, Annie. And they went on honeymoon to Germany. On their honeymoon, there was a thunderstorm and Annie was struck by lightning and was left a permanent invalid for the rest of her days. They moved back to Princeton in the US and he taught at a biblical seminary over there. Brilliant mind, brilliant theologian. 
But for the 39 years of their married life, he never left his wife for more than two hours at a time. Never left her for more than two hours. He'd go and teach a lecture, return to his wife. Do some writing, return to his wife. He was once asked, why? Why did he stick with her? And he said, because I love her. And I made a promise to her. I promised I would love her in sickness and in health, in the good and the bad. And I've made that promise. And of course I'm going to love her. Now your God in heaven, he loves you with his kindness. He's promised to love you. And you've got to believe that. Why did you get a seat at the table? Because God's just promised to show you kindness. Who are you? You're welcomed, you're honoured, you're accepted. You're feasting with the king. So please stop seeing yourself as in the gutter and start seeing yourself as seated at the table. There's three responses here. I'll close with this. You might be here tonight and you are just full of apathy. You're thinking, I don't care about this, Paul. I'm very happy being in the gutter, in the spiritual gutter. I don't care about any of this stuff. Can I lovingly warn you that when a king invites you, if you're apathetic, you're in a very dangerous position. The second response is arrogance, thinking, yeah, you know, of course I'm at the table. Look at me. Of course I'm at the table. I deserve it. Look at me. I'm, I'm amazing. I'm wonderful. Of course God would invite me. That's also very dangerous. The right response, the third response, is just astonishment. Wow. I imagine that Mephibosheth is thinking, wow, God, why me? Why did you see me and seek me and speak to me and save me and give me a seat at the table? Do you ever think that? Why me? Why, God, did you see me, seek me, save me, show me kindness and give me a seat at the table? Why me? I want to say, church, when a king comes knocking, everything changes. When a king calls you, everything changes. The king came knocking in my life 32 years ago. That's when I first realised that God knew me. He was calling me, speaking to me. He saved me. He showed me kindness and gave me a seat at the table. That was 32 years ago, and my life has changed completely. I want to ask you, when did the king come knocking in your life? When did he call you into his presence? When was that? Are you still astonished by that? Are you still amazed that he would choose you? Or has it all become so familiar? But maybe, you know, maybe that there's someone here tonight and King Jesus is knocking at your door right now. Maybe as I've been speaking tonight, you realise that you are spiritually destitute and spiritually doomed and you're hearing the invitation from Jesus to say, come, 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 let me, let me give you a seat at my table. We've all got a choice. You can choose to stay in low Dubai. You can choose to stay in no pasture. You can choose to stay in a barren land. Or you can choose to accept the feast at the table. I believe tonight that the Lord Jesus Christ is inviting people right here, right now, to come and feast at the table. So I'm going to say a prayer. You've got this card on your seat. And and once a term we do this, so please all just take out this card. and Let me explain what we're going to do. 
I'm going to pray a prayer. Maybe you've heard the invitation. You're going to tick that first box. I've accepted Jesus' invitation to feast at the table tonight. Love to talk to you if that's you tonight. Maybe you've heard this invitation thinking, well, I want more information. So tick the second box. I'd like to attend an explore course. Maybe you're just visiting. So tick the third box and we'll just let you know about church. Maybe you're here tonight and you, you do believe in Jesus and you are seated at the table. You've never been publicly baptized. You've never publicly declared your faith. Well, tick that next box. Or maybe you are committed to following Jesus, but you've got some prayer requests for us as your pastoral team. So in a moment, I'm going to give you some time to fill that out. But before I do that, I'm going to pray a prayer. It is not, it's not the prayer on the screen, Claudia, so I'll just pray it. So if you'd like to accept the invitation, I'm going to pray. And you might want to echo this prayer in your heart. Let me pray. Dear God, thank you for your kindness that you've shown to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that you saw us when we were disobedient and destitute. Thank you that you spoke to us by our name. Thank you that you've shown us great kindness in forgiving our sins. Thank you for that seat at the table and the security and the satisfaction that brings. I'm sorry, Lord, for the times where I have ignored you. Please forgive me. Thank you that Jesus died for me. Please come into my life. And please help me to live with Jesus Christ as my Lord and Saviour. Help me to sit at that table and feast with you every day. In Jesus' name. If you pray that prayer, I'd love you to tick that first box and I'd love to chat with you and pray with you tonight. So I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to uh, pick out your pens, fill out these cards. It'd be really helpful if everyone could do this. Uh, we're going to listen to the song by Leyland called Carry It to the Table as we fill out these cards and then pop them in the boxes during our next song.